Welcome TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the Urbane, Robert Domena. Urbane. So what does Urbane mean? Urbane is a good one. Oh, that's good. You want to know what it is? I do. That's why I asked. <laughs> Having the polish and suavity regarded as characteristic of sophisticated social life in major cities. Wow. And you use that to describe me. It may not be the most apt description. Okay. But yeah. I thought I would say something nice for once. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So before we get into the episode, we're going to run through our partners. Keep in mind that you can, you can um, get connected with any of these partners through the link on our website. So our first one is Minivan of Memories, a blogging platform that allows travelers to share their travel stories with other travelers. If you don't have the platform to do it, this is a good way to get your stories out there and your writing out there. Little Passports, it's a monthly subscription um, for parents who want to help teach their kids about geography in the world. Each month you get a package with information, maps, toys, whatever it is that helps them learn about the various cultures. Travel by Locals, it is very similar to Airbnb for travel guides. You go to their website, you get connected with a local tour guide in a specific location, get linked up, you, you agree on a certain cost, you meet them, and they, they give you the guide that you signed up for. And lastly, uh, if you enjoy our podcasts, please consider donating $1 per month on our Patreon page. It's the cost of less you know, than a bottle of water per month, and it will really help us out with our time and efforts on the show. Very much appreciate it. Our guest today has many, many, many accolades. Uh, and one of those recent accolades was completing the seven summits. Um, so she completed the seven summits by hiking Everest in May of this year. And she talks about her new project related to Everest as well. And then we get into her next goal, which is the Explorer's Grand Slam. So without further introduction, and this person really needs no more of an introduction because the conversation was absolutely phenomenal and really interesting. So please welcome Joyce Azam. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Joyce, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Bob and I are extremely excited to talk to you it's been we've had a little bit of troubles getting you on but we finally have you and we're very much looking forward to talking about your time hiking literally all over the world all of the seven summits which in may you completed the seven summit challenge by hiking everest and based on your own website and some of the stuff we've researched on you you are now starting the explorers grand slam yeah. so what is it like being the first Lebanese woman to accomplish A, the Seven Summit Challenge, and B, moving forward to this Explorer's Grand Slam? First, hello, Bob and Elliot. I'm so, so happy to be uh, with you, you know, finally. 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 <laughs> yeah, well, we started in what? You were in Kathmandu. We couldn't really get yeah. a good connection. Then you were in Paris. Yeah, in Paris. We yes. tried again. We couldn't get a good connection. And now you're in the United States on the East Coast in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah, you're um, literally only like an hour away from both of us. Yeah, Maybe two. So. so this is why it's working. This is why <laughs> it's working. <laughs> it, it definitely makes it easier. Yeah. It is easier. Same time, good connection. So yeah. here yeah. I am. So first, I'm so happy to be with you guys. And yes, it's uh, it feels really awesome to be the first and the only Lebanese woman uh, till uh, the moment 
to accomplish um, an international achievement, uh, which is the Seven Summits. Um, we had the first man like 13 years ago to accomplish this. And today, um, by May 2019, I was uh, the first Lebanese woman to do so. It's, it, it was my dream for sure, but it's more about uh, women empowerment. It's more about breaking stereotypes. It's more about saying that, yes, you can achieve your dreams and inspire change in your life and in your society. So this is what it really means to me to be the first Lebanese woman to complete the Summit Summit. And so, yeah, I, I was reading about you, obviously, and you've, you've become a, a symbol of inspiration in Lebanon and especially for young girls. And so I, I told you uh, earlier that I have a daughter um, and I want her to grow up thinking that she can accomplish anything that she wants. If she wants to climb the seven summits, then she should go for it. Um, so what do you what would you say to young girls specifically that can help them focus their dreams and, and ultimately achieve them? Um, well, you know, I was born um, in this part of the world where maybe they would not expect from a girl or a woman to, to do what I did. So, um, and especially I was born during the Lebanese war. The first six years of my life was a survivor mode, um, you know, fleeing from place to another, from a bunker to candles to bombs to people dying. So, all this, especially I was also born in a very modest family. So from my social class where I grew up, nobody mm, like waited or uh, nobody mm, even gave me the permission to dream. And, uh, but I followed my dream. I had this, you know, small seed in my heart. I want to, you know, discover the world. I want to climb the highest mountain. It's my passion. And um, today through this story, my humble story, I really want to tell every girl, every woman, actually every person, but also because women around the world, not just in Lebanon or in the Middle East or in the Arab world, everywhere, really, like literally, I, I've been to all the seven continents and I've been, you know, connecting with women from in Alaska, in Argentina, in Antarctica, I met all these international women from India, Nepal, um, Australia, France, Canada. and Every one of us has her story, inspiring story, and every one of us has obstacles. And it's different, different levels. But I just, I, I, I think we can lead by example. I, I think when we break stereotypes, when we just go and lead and open new routes, you know, like in the mountain, when we need to, the first one who breaks the, the ice or break the, the trail is harder, right? But this is what, how you can let everybody path and it can be easier for others to, to also take this trail or another one, you know, get inspired to break their own trail. So this, I, I believe this is what I really want to say to each girl and woman, uh, you know, listening uh, today. So what instigated your passion and dream of hiking all of the seven summits? What led to that? Um, okay, so my story is that I was born in Lebanon, right? And uh, when I was about like 19, 20, um, I used to play basketball, run a little bit. I'm not, I'm not really good at sports, okay? Like I have a physical limitation, which is uh, a hypermobility syndrome. And, what is that? Uh, it is um, actually... 
I really didn't know all the details till like a few months ago. So it is about having joints that are very flexible. Very oh, flexible. okay. But I didn't know that this comes with a package, a package that you feel tired, you have to train more than others to feel, you know, to get the, the joints really like in the same place, you know, like, like normal people, you know? Okay. So I didn't understand that till a few months ago, but honestly, not knowing is better because I just trained more and, you know, was, you know, even I remember at school, I was eight, um, nine years old. I couldn't even run like 50 meters, you know, like, I don't know, 50 meters would be like 150 feet. feet yeah. So, and I was every day running more like, you know, 50 feet more and 50 feet more. And then I completed my first uh, race at three kilometers. I remember I was second and it was like a great joy for me. Just to tell you that I come from, I have limitations physical first and um but sports made me really get more like you know empowered and uh, trust myself and confident uh, because i was a little bit bullied because of this joint you know my knees would go backward and right at school <laughs> like she's an alien she's an alien and i'm like no 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 please you can't play with me so i i really you know, I suffered a little bit from that and sports came to my life and changed my life. But at the age of 20, like 20, I was 20, uh, I, I went to uh, architecture school and the public uh, university, Lebanese school, uh, university, and uh, no sports, no, you know, like basketball team, nothing. I was like, uh-oh, what should I do? I should do something. Like I should train. I should do. And um, I meet these people hiking. I go hiking for just one weekend because Lebanon is beautiful. We have the Mediterranean Sea, you know, on um, the, 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 you know, the whole coast. And then you go up really very quickly with the first mountain range. And then we have a valley. So the first mountain range goes up to 3,000 meters which is like around 10,000 feet and then you go down to the Beka Valley around like uh, 1,000 feet this is where we make the best wine ever it's like the Phoenician Roman historic wine you should try it guys oh. and then and then it goes up again to 2,800 meters around less than 10,000 feet for sure and goes to you know and then there's the borders with Syria so it has this um karst system it's all like really nice rocks to climb really nice rocks uh, to hike and the forest we have the cedar forest so all this was like oh my god i i want to do this and how i started hiking and i remember the first time i hiked maybe less than 5k yeah i mean 5k would be how many like four miles less three, than yeah three miles and a half and guys i really like it was an area where there's a lot of mud, a lot of water, you know, like uh, waterfalls. And I kept like, you know, falling, falling down on my knees and I hurt oh. my knees. And I discovered that I'm not used to such terrain, you know, like rocky terrain, like not even terrain and uh, muddy terrain. So this really brought another challenge for me. And there I was like, I want to hike. I want to get better on this. And all this started in 2006. Sorry, I talk a lot. <laughs> hey, that's no, why you're that, here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the whole point of the show. So you didn't start hiking until 2006. Six, yes. And, and which was the first mountain that you decided to tackle out of the seven summits? And how soon after you started hiking did you decide to tackle one of those mountains? 
Oh, yeah. So I started to tackle the seven summits in 2012, only six years after. Okay. But um, let me tell you something. It wasn't about the seven summits. It was about really uh, doing it for myself. So and with every mountain I climbed, even the highest in Lebanon, which, which is the Black Horn or Ornit Sauda in Lebanese. It's a 3000 meter. And I remember in May 2006, after a few months of training, I stood on the top. And for me, it was like, you know, the same feeling when I stood on Everest in 2019. Honestly, it yeah. was this sense of achievement that I was like, oh, yes, I did it. You know, I did it not for anyone. It's, I did it for myself. Right. I could climb this mountain. I could survive it. And I'm coming back safe. So this this is every mountain I climb. Then when I moved to because I have this I'm, I'm ambitious, if I have to say you know, uh, to describe myself, I'm determined dreamer, but I'm super ambitious and I dream big. So I wanted to do this PhD and I got this first scholarship to do a master's degree and then another one for another master's degree and PhD in Europe and the, in Rome. And this really changed my life because going from Lebanon, which is like the highest peak is just about hiking, you know, 10,000 feet. And then moving towards the Alp, which is technical climb, using the ropes. Um, you have a nice axe. It's like, ooh, new gadget. So, <laughs> so all this is like a, a life changing because I was like, oh my God, 4,000 meters. How am I going to do this? Climbing, you know, in, in high altitude, new obstacles, new challenges. And the Alps really taught me a lot. And I started my first mountain in 2009 in the Alps. And I'm talking about all these mountains because they mean to me as much as the seven summits. But now today we are talking because I, you know, did this great international achievement. This is why we met. Yeah. But um, I'm, I just want to say that every mountain I climb uh, taught me something or like for me, mountains are my mentors. And I can't say like just the seven summits were the most special ones, but for sure, um, going from the, the coldest part of the world to the hottest, following this, you know, map of this project of this, you know, seven summits brought me a lot of fun and, and experience and, and the cultural, you know, exploration of the world. But, um, for sure, every mountain climb gave me a lot, uh, and this is uh, who sh it shaped me. This is who I am today because of all these mountains. So I was just reading an article in National Geographic Traveler, and it was about mountain mountains and why we uh, look to them for inspiration and what it is about them that appeals to the climber. Is it the is it the summit? Is it actually standing on top of the mountain and? looking out into the landscape and being higher than anything else around you? Is it the actual hike? Is it the strenuous hike and the work that you have to put in to achieve standing on the mountain? Like, what is it? Um, and I don't, I didn't actually finish the article yet, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 was, I, was, I, I put it down. But so to, to add on to that, um, one of the, I guess the first time we, we spoke, we talked a little bit about Eric Weinmayer and he he was the first blind man to summit Everest, and we had him on the show in early May. And we were talking to him about because, hey, obviously standing at the top of the mountain and like taking in the view isn't what he's hiking for. For him, it's always about the challenge. And I think similar to Eric, your story seems like you did all of these hikes not in spite of your hypermobility, 
but because of your hypermobility? Um, most probably. <laughs> most probably. Look, I, I believe that climbing a mountain is something very, very spiritual, at least for me. It is, um, you, you climb it for yourself and inside of yourself. The changes that it brings you um, are not even, you know, you, you don't even understand them till after, after a few months of climbing each mountain. And for me, for sure, I love the views and the landscape. And I mean, oh my God, my eyes so, you know, all these landscape all over the world. This is really rich. And, and, and uh, I always think I, I also, my, my lungs had to breathe all this different, you know, um, oxygen from yeah. all over the continent. And then I had to have some dirt in my, <laughs> in my, you know, luggage and even to eat some dirt, you know, with your food when you're camping in these tents. So all this, and I even drank the glaciers and, and because, you know, to, to, um, to make our food and drink the water, we have to uh, uh, boil uh, the, the ice and the, the snow. And all this, it's, it's not even describable with words, right? Like you can't really describe this. But um, for me, really, if you want to really, and it's really like personal and, 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 uh, uh, intimate. I, I climb it for myself because each time I stand on top of each mountain, I feel complete, more complete and more complete. And I, I, I really understand myself more and more and more. It's a, it was a self-discovery. I, I, for sure, I discovered the world from outside, but from inside, um, this, this is the magic. This is the magic that the mountain changes you from inside. And this is why I could, I can't stop actually. I couldn't stop to do this big dream because I mean, we will talk later about the challenges because there's also the sponsorship and the money you have to raise to, to get this done. But uh, it wasn't just about the seven summits. I would chase the mountains. I would con continue climbing mountains because of this sensation and this um, evolvement evolve that gave me in my life. And it will never stop. As we are living, we will just learn about ourselves more and more and more. Like now I'm meeting, you know, I'm closer to Joyce <laughs> more and more right. and more through the mountains. Yeah. And I don't know, this is my, it's very personal, but this is how I feel about the mountain and why I climb mountains. I think that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's actually bringing you... So not only did it bring you around the world, but it's brought you on <clears throat> new projects and, and new personal responsibilities. I know something that you are very passionate about right now is undertaking the project to clean Mount Everest. And uh, it's a monumental task, right? And so I think, I think we would like to bring some awareness to what's going on on the top of Mount Everest and what you actually observed while you were up there. Because I don't think people really understand how much trash has been left on the mountain. So it's a mountain of trash. It's a mountain of trash. Um, um, so <laughs> can you yeah. describe what you actually saw and what you observed, you know, as you were hiking up and then back down Mount Everest? Uh, you know, it's very special because I never talked about this project, revealed a lot about this project, uh, you know, on an interview or a podcast publicly. But I would love to share with you. Um, it's, it's um, you know, when... 
when you climb a mountain, there's a part of this mountain that stays with you, right? This is what we were talking about, and this is how I feel. And as uh, I also, you know, I have a PhD in landscape and environment. So I, I, I studied how to protect and conserve and manage um, UNESCO natural and cultural heritage sites, world heritage sites. And Everest is one of them. And while going up and down into the icefall and then the camps, the higher camps, camp one, camp two, camp three, camp four, yes, I saw a lot of trash. Yes, it's not acceptable how the human being is, you know, not respecting nature. But what I feel about all this, I feel I am also responsible. I am the one who trashed the mountain. I am the one who climbed the mountain. I am part of the traffic. I am part of all this. And I don't care who did it, who didn't. Uh, you know, I, I don't go and blame, judge who didn't respect who. Um, now we have this situation. And I believe every one of us should feel this responsibility. And join forces to clean the mountain and protect this pristine and, and beautiful mountain. Mount Everest is a symbol for all of us. So um, this is how, you know, all started. And now I am leading on this um, project with my partners in Nepal. And um, I hope in spring 2020, we will do something good and positive for the mountain. I'm really keen to put all the power, everything I studied in my life, everything I learned about the mountains, everything I observed in other mountains. Like, for example, let's talk about Vincent in Antarctica. It's very well managed. It's pristine. It's clean. And they have a measure of regulations that everybody follows. And the mountain is still clean, you know? And for sure, we're going to climb the mountain. For sure, you know, men, I, I, I mean, honestly, we should not be there. We can't survive there. It's like, <laughs> it's a death zone, but I don't know. We want this curiosity we have, this love for exploration to, to, to see this or, and also to, you know, overcome ourselves, uh, to put challenges, bigger challenges as a human being made us go there. So now we will not talk about this, why and how, and we are going there, right? What we're going to do to protect our mother earth what we're gonna do to protect our nature this is what i'm working on today and uh, in like a month uh, i will publish you know um, more and more about this because i want everybody to get involved not just uh in nepal the people in nepal no everyone every hiker every climber every summiteer should be part of this because we are all we all are responsible we are uh, like I, this is how I feel. I am responsible, and this is my you know. I raise my hand. I say I am responsible. I'm gonna do it for Everest. So it's a big project. I I, I feel sometimes I'm crazy <laughs> getting you know there uh, because it's a personal investment. Also, you know, I'm just putting everything I know, everything I have to do this. But I believe that it's a call and it's worth it. Even if I help Everest with 0.01 percent, for me it is something this is an achievement i don't think it's crazy to expect people to clean up the trash that they bring onto the mountain and from what i understand you know the a lot of this stems from the nepal side the nepal trail and to be a sherpa in nepal it's incredibly lucrative and so that industry to expect nepal to regulate it to the point where they're not making the money that they're making is probably not 
actually realistic. So I think what should be focused on is changing the attitudes of the people who are actually paying to hike the mountain. They're, they, 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 they're, they can, they're adults, you know, walk up the mountain and just bring your trash down with you. And if you can't handle the load that you're bringing up to the mountain, then you shouldn't be taking it with you to begin with. Um, isn't that, isn't that how we isn't that how we should treat everything we do yes, in life like just live your daily we, life like that <laughs> we shouldn't have trash in cities yes also right. like actually I, I am captioning here uh garrett madison he was uh, my guide on everest and he said one thing that stayed in my everest represents the world today everest like the situation on everest represent the world it's like the trash everywhere um, it's, you know, on, on some beaches, they just, uh, in, in Africa, they just uh, make a hole, put the trash and make it look pristine um, to, to, to the tourists and it just look good. But, you know, what we are really hurting is mother nature. So here there's a huge awareness that we should all, you know, be, like we should all go on the same page and start acting by ourselves right especially the the the, especially the mountaineers the climbers you know we pay a lot of money we pay a lot of money like um you can look a good company it's between 60 to 80 thousand dollars and there's more depending on what service you want and if you can raise this money like everybody's like how are you gonna clean everest it's like i'm gonna raise money for that I'm going to make sponsors pay for that. I'm going to pay, make, you know, all these big companies that they invest in Nepal, they should pay part of this money also to help us to clean physically first, right? The, the camps. But uh, because I did it for myself, I raised the money to climb the mountain. So how I did it for myself, I will use the same technique. And maybe now I'm more, you know, pro and I, 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 I'm a more expert in the, in, 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 in this. So I can use all this uh, experience to, um, to save Everest. And every one of us can do it uh, in its own way. So what I'm also trying to do uh, in this project to make everybody get involved with this uh, through different... Uh, for example, you can uh, you can like um, uh, sponsor um, uh, Sherpa, right? Help with a little bit of money to 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 make the Sherpa go higher to Camp Two because the really uh, like the the hardest part is Camp Four. You know, going up to eight thousand meters. This is gonna be a very big challenge to bring down all the trash. But um, what I'm working, I mean, I can talk a lot of about all these details because I want them, you know, to go through in, in one direction in uh, like a month and a half or two, I'm going to put all this uh, with a bigger campaign. Uh, and I want all of you to help me, like all of you, all the listeners, you, Elliot, Bob, <laughs> you are responsible too. So this is the way it's going to lead us to also create an awareness that this is not acceptable. What we are doing with our mountains, with nature, so, um, so, yeah. so looking to the actual logistics, I know that a certain point on the mountain is considered like the death zone, right? Once you hike to a certain elevation, you're kind of on your own. If something goes wrong, it's too high of an elevation for rescue. Other people that you're with likely can't help you either. And 
it seems like from what I've read, I've never been there, but there, that's where a lot of the trash ends up being because people make it to the top and then anything they don't really need to get back down, they just kind of throw off their backs, leave it on the top of the mountain and come back down. And that includes tents. Um, and so another thing that I was reading, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's actually a lot of fecal matter. People are pooping all over the mountain. And it's actually <laughs> true. It's actually at a point where it's starting to run down into the water and come down the mountain and present issues for clean water. Yeah. Is that, do you know anything about that? I know a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound happy to know that. No, I am not. Look, um, so I will, I will tell you how it works on Everest. You know, you have these companies that uh, you pay them your money and they lead you uh, no, or they take you up on the mountain. There's two different, uh, two kind of companies, right? The companies that they are not responsible, that means they would just give you some support on the mountain, but they would not uh, give you leadership on the mountain and they are not responsible of the trash, okay? And there's other companies that I'm really proud to climb with um, Madison Mountaineering, who, uh, like, Madison Mountaineer is a very responsible um, uh, company that they lead you on the mountain. Like you cannot, you are not on your own after 8,000 meters. You know, like if they feel you're not okay, they would save your life and get you down at the right moment. So th these are really like decisions of, of uh, you know, or, or you die or you live. Like it's, it's not like a joke. And if you don't have this person with, a high level of experience watching you because if you are exhausted and your mind is not really functioning, uh, you would lose your life. You know, if someone was like, okay, no, I'm going. So because people go like you, you experience this ego, right? It's uh, all of us. Um, I'm part of it. So I really needed someone to lead me on the mountain, a leader, not just a guide. And this is one. And such companies also, they are responsive. They maybe charge you more but they are responsible of their trash and they bring the trash down and it costs a lot. It costs a lot to bring, like to think or to plan this, right? And to pay all these Sherpas to bring down the trash. But there's other companies, they charge you less, they don't lead you on the mountain, they leave you at 8,000 meters, you, you can decide for your life and you don't know. It's your first time at such environment and you don't really know what your body, how your body gonna function, right? So if you, if you don't have this leadership at this level, this is where all the problems, you know, pop up. And um, I saw other people, they paid less, but this is where they have problems and they could, you know, lose their life. Some people were saved, others, no, they didn't. And, you know, this year, uh, it was one of the hardest, hardest, hardest moments for me where you have to just pass, you know, corpse and, and people just lost, uh, you know, their life. And this is really hard to see. But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a decision you take even before stepping, you know, like uh, even before arriving to Kathmandu, choose the good company that is also respecting the mountain. I know it costs more, but these are the prices, guys. Like two months on the mountain cost a lot. Two months of, of logistics and um, people, you know, it's, it's a huge um, team working all for us to climb the mountain. Um, I don't, like, if you really ask me, what do you think about this? 
it's nice. I experienced the 8,000 meters. I, I, I stood on the top of the world. It's beautiful. It wasn't easy. But guys, I feel like just on a high altitude tourist. This is what I feel. Like today, the mountain is treated. Uh, like we're, we're not, you know, like the pioneers who were climbing with their ice axe. No, you have a, a, a fixed rope and it's accessible. Like yeah. today, accessible for everyone and this is where where we are experiencing traffic that people just you know striving for making more money and bringing anyone to climb with you know like i'm, I'm blaming also the the companies the, the guides and this is something we should really be aware of it's not always that the guides are the bad people but uh like here it is also a decision about the that the climbers should really be aware of who to climb with and uh, and how to climb so this is very very important yeah it seems like there's a lot of people <clears throat> who go who don't know how to climb a mountain either who maybe have never climbed uh, a high summit in their entire lives and they show up and that's the first one they do those i mean i don't want to point any fingers but those seems to be the people that might be presenting a bigger issue for the mountain and, and not really having the consideration for nature and the environment that they're in more so than people who are doing it for spiritual reasons like yourself. And then the cost to me at least seems to be justified because you're, what you're doing is you're paying a company to have these Sherpas lead you up the mountain and they're essentially putting their lives at risk way more than you're putting your life at risk. I know that there's a certain point on the mountain. It's called like the, it's something with the ice wall. It's one of the most dangerous places on the mountain they put a ladder down, right? And you need to pass over a crevasse. And what I was reading is, you know, if a Sherpa is leading a group of like five people or 10 people, whatever it is, that Sherpa will carry your bags across that ladder, right? And so he, he'll, someone has to go and lay the ladder, tie it in. Well, and then he'll come back across the ladder, grab your bags, take your bags across. And he does that back and forth for every single person that is on his, in his group. Um, well, um, I, I don't know about that, but I will tell you how I crossed the icefall. So I had a personal Sherpa with me on Everest. Um, I usually have my own, you know, weight. Like in, in Denali, I had to um, have 30 kilograms on my back and another 30 in the sled, and I had to pull them up, and I did it. Um, in Argentina, I did it without porters. Uh, Aconcagua, I climbed it with 25, 26 uh, kilograms. Um, but on average, to be honest, I hired a personal Sherpa. The why for it, I'm very, very honest, um, because I had sponsors, you know, and, and all Lebanon look at, looking at me. It's my seventh out of, uh, you know, it's my last out of the seven summits. It's Everest. And I was a little bit afraid also, like, like there's this feeling of, oh my God. So I said, better maybe to hire a personal Sherpa who would help me with the weight. So I would have not more than 12 kilograms or 15 because i had like a satellite device and stuff for me i always have um you know tech stuff i try to understand and use on the mountain to get connected with people <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's not easy guys to use a satellite device at 8,000 meters alone and get connected i did it and i had this <laughs> famous call with the prime minister of lebanon telling him that um i, I you know i accomplished uh, this uh, achievement for Lebanon. Anyway, um, so, so cool. Wait, you, <laughs> you just kind of like glazed over that. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. You had a yeah. you had a phone call with the Prime Minister of Lebanon while you were yeah. on the top of Everest. Yes. No, uh, not on the top. At eight thousand meters. When 8, I came 8, back. Okay. 
no i mean that's still like, really cool come on i mean because it's a video <laughs> call like can you imagine i had uh, this uh, satellite uh, device with me uh, to get uh, a high like a good connection i yeah. actually it was better than the katmandu connection <laughs> <laughs> and i connected with lebanon through a video call with the prime minister and it was really beautiful because I'm really proud that the Prime Minister of Lebanon, Saad Hariri, he's a, he's a man who supports women in sports, especially. He's for gender equality. And this is uh, why he supported uh, my project. And I'm really proud uh, of that. So uh, in any case, I, let's come back to the ice fall. <laughs> I, I, was <laughs> I was crossing these ladders with my Sherpa. And he would not go back and forth because from the beginning, when we leave the base camp, I would give him my um, like um, sleeping bag and stuff. So it will be like maybe, I don't know, 15 kilograms or 20 max, max, less maybe. And um, he would have also guys, his own stuff. So this is incredible. Yeah. They are the real heroes. And I had like my Sherpa, I, I really, I, I, KB, his name is KB. I love this guy. Um, he is like in his 40s. Is um, not like a young guy. And his, his son is 25 and they work together. So I climbed with both of them to the summit. Of Everest but during the first part like uh, the acclimatization you know the first rotation the second rotation um, we just uh, climb with our personal Sherpa if you hire a personal Sherpa and he would have the bigger load I would take some but uh, still I mean being very honest uh, he did the job he did the job for me and this is how I climbed the mountain he's he is the real hero I did it for a different reason because in my country where you know, in, in my society, I would impact, I would, uh, and this is why I did it. I would inspire, I would, you know, break stereotype, but let's, when we go technical mountaineering stuff, I did stuff harder than Everest because I was taking all the load. And we know all, like everyone who's, you know, listening now, mountaineer, hiker, every gram, like every pound yep. would make that a matters. difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> After like 10 hours going from the ice fall to camp two, mama mia, I would die. <laughs> I would die if I had like more 10 kilograms, but I did it because of this beautiful soul who was next to me all the time. So I, going back and forth, I don't know if other companies would hire just one Sherpa and they pay him, you know, they want to maybe uh, like uh, economize, how to say, like make, uh, you know, pay less money. To, to, to the, the Sherpas and they would hire one and he would go and bring all this stuff. Or there's also people who would um, be afraid to cross the ladder with the weight on their back. So the Sherpa would help. They are there to help us really. Like I saw one girl who couldn't, she was really afraid on a double ladder on a crevasse. And I swear to God, the Sherpas were lying down and like she was climbing, you know, to help her on, on, on their I mean, not really literally like this, but they were there to help her, you know, with their hands and they were stretching their bodies to just give her all the support so she can cross the ladder. And they weren't her Sherpa, you know, like not yeah, they were so, but wow. they all of them, the, 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 you know, they were putting all the strength together to make this girl cross because she was uh, really feeling afraid. So they are amazing people on the mountain. 
I'm going to send you a clip after we get off the podcast on Everest. And it was about that. It was about the, the trash on the mountain. It was about the, the things that the Sherpas do for people. They ended up sh- um, interviewing a Sherpa who, and they, they asked him, you know, if you weren't there, would any of these people be able to hike the mountain? And he said, no. no. And so that's another reason that I think that the cost is um, appropriate. And I also think if you lower the cost of hiking the Everest, only more people are going to go. And yes. potentially die. And likely die, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if you don't have the right support, if you don't have the right leadership, potentially you would die, honestly. But like today, maybe from all the mountaineers, even the best, I, I don't know. I When I was on Everest, uh, I heard about this guy. I don't remember his name. He's one of the you know top mountaineers in the world. And um, he wasn't using the Sherpa power. He was doing it by himself. He couldn't make it. He couldn't make it to the summit because he was, you know, pulling all the, the equipment and the load by himself. So really, we can't do it without them. And I'm, I'm very happy because, um, you know what, guys, they are making good money for their families. They are some of these Sherpas, they are even, even building schools in their uh, villages. They are really making good money when they are really well paid, for sure, by good companies. And it's good for them. They love their job. Huh? Don't feel they are like uh, not happy. They are happy when they are well paid and they enjoy the mountain. So to the point we were discussing earlier about all of the trash being left on the mountain, wouldn't the Sherpas want to be proactive to sustain their livelihood by keeping it clean so that more people can hike it sustainably? Um, I believe the Sherpas also feel bad about this, but when you are in the death, death zone, especially at 8,000 meters, Camp 4, which is the most um, trash, um, you don't, I mean, you can't do whatever you really want to do, right? You, you have to put priorities and follow them. So Sherpas would be with the, you know, saving lives, um, taking care of their clients. So they can, cannot like bring more trash or more loads uh, down, right? But for sure, they don't like what's happening. And for sure, um, at some point, um, they're going to act. But like, let's come back. We are talking about Nepal. The economy is really, you know, bad. They have to think about survival. They are in a survival mode. They want to make money to to survive and, and give it to their family. So <clears throat> they cannot volunteer in, in their time and put their effort to just clean them up. You know what I mean? They are not coming from a wealthy environment where they have everything. It's like, oh, I'm going right. to give this time of the year to... No, I prefer to give this time of the year to make money. Like, there needs to be an incentive for them to clean on. <laughs> I, I, we shouldn't expect people to put their lives at risk to do it. There, need, there should be a program put in place, and that's exactly why... What you're doing and what yeah, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Incentives, regulations. Uh, we're talking about awareness programs, education. Um, this is this is the the way to do it. And and somebody should lead on this. Somebody should really make it for the mountain. Mm-hmm. And and Sherpas would do it if they have incentives for sure. And I totally understand them. It's not, you know, it, it's when we think about everything as a business, as a win-win situation, everybody wins, everybody. And when somebody is losing, it's not going to happen. It's not an equal, you know, it's not a balanced relationship and we will not save the mountain. So what I'm trying to do to give these people a winning situation and the mountain a winning situation. Very nice. How how are you looking on time with your computer? 
Um, it's uh, I still have like five, it's like really bad. Uh, 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Yeah. All right. All right. Where are we at? So it's a nice one, huh? Yeah. We, we, a, we're we're going to, we'll cut this little part out. And no, we'll, we'll keep it all in. We'll keep it all in. <laughs> yeah. This, so, is, this way right. people get to know who we really are. So, <laughs> so now we've talked about, you know, your, your beginnings and your inspiration. We've talked about what it was like to be on Everest and the project you're working on. Um, but now I kind of just want to hear some of your favorite stories or maybe something that you hold significant. I know you talked about the initial times you were hiking in Lebanon as sort of the building blocks for who you are today. But has there been anything recent that you've had to face or you use as fuel for inspiration or maybe just a funny story that you've had on the mountain or uh, yeah. time? And well, you know what? Here, which, which one was your favorite out of the seven? <laughs> I just rambled. I'm sorry. Uh, um, okay, let's let's start with that. So yeah. my favorite, really, I mean, the Himalayas are majestic. Like, as if you are asking me, um, which is, I, I don't have kids, I'm not married, I'm single and fabulous, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but if I have to choose between my kids, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you cannot. Okay, but yeah. Himalayas are majestic. Denali was such a beautiful mountain. I always remember the landscape and the challenges I faced. But I want to tell you one um, small story, like funny one. It happened now recently on Everest. I was on the day 10. I was going to base camp, you know, hiking. Nothing special, like, you know, and... And I had this idea. I saw the base camp in front of me. I was, you know, filming a, a video with my GoPro and looking at it and running down on rocks, you know. And I'm so now, you know, confident that after 12 years of training, I can run on rocks and I have this coordination and, you know, reflex because before I couldn't, you know, because of my knees and blah, blah. And I was running down and then. I, 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 I turn and I look and there's a yak in front of me, like a yak in front of my face. <laughs> I, I really was like, ah, okay. And, and I was afraid, for sure, like shocked, surprised. And I just um, jumped on, on, my, on my right side. And my right side wasn't like, you know, a nice uh, uh, grassy stuff. It was just big, bigger rock. <laughs> and I couldn't stop. So I just fell on my face, guys, like, boom. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I can't, you know, I, I, I had all these ideas in my head at that, sec, you know, few seconds. like, and, and the act passed through me, like, passed, you know, next to my feet. I was like, no, don't, don't step on that. Because <laughs> if you would step on my feet, I just lost everything, you know, everything I have to climb that mountain. And can you imagine I waited 14 months to, to uh, fund my project. I did, you know, everything it takes to convince the sponsors. Everybody is watching Lebanon, like all the Lebanese from around the world. I, I created this campaign, media exposure stuff all by myself. And then I just, I have, I'm in this moment, my face is on the rock and, and my feet are next to a yak and I'm laying down and I don't know what to do. And I, you know, took my time. I uh, sat down and another, uh, my, my friend, uh, she's Nadira from Oman, came to, because she was next to me, not far. She's like, I thought you are just hiding. I, I, it was really weird how you just jumped. And anyway... <laughs> So I, I, I took off my sunglasses and, 
I had blood on my face and then um, a friend, like my, my friend Nadira, she's the first actually Omani uh, woman who climbed Everest this year. Uh, but back then we didn't know that we we're going to climb Everest, but we were uh, just at day 10 of our two months expedition. And I saw myself lying on these rocks. My face is um, full of blood and uh, my, my um, right uh, hand, actually till now I have this uh, pain in my, um, actually my left hand, sorry, my left hand. And it's, has a different shape now one of my fingers anyway I think I broke it or something but it was really painful and all like everything I was thinking of like Joyce is this it this is it for you like this is it for you like 10 days from your Everest expedition like I I had this in my mind and I was like my am I you know because you don't know what like what happened in your body? Are you injured? Your your legs, your feet, your so it was a very difficult moment, and I thought I lost it, and and plus this, I mean, it's funny and stupid and the yak and everything happened in fractions of second, but uh, I could lose, you know, my my summit. I could lose my summit just because I j- didn't pay attention and. And, and I wasn't careful, to be honest. So that was a very important reminder. And I was really, really taking care and being very, you know, <laughs> up until that careful point. <laughs> while climbing, I, the ice fall going up to the summit and coming back, you know, to base camp and till Kathmandu, I was like, okay, Joyce, you have just to be very focused and not doing all this, you know, um, running stuff. I have a very important question to ask regarding this. Do you still have the GoPro footage? Actually, actually, I do. And I should look it up because, you know, since I finished Everest, I'm traveling a lot. I pulled some of the footage, but there's a lot of more footage I didn't, to be honest, uh, pull out because just this month I was, you know, between Kathmandu, Paris, uh, before Spain, Rome, and now I'm in D.C., so between work and, uh, you know, tourism. So it's like, uh, and recovery for sure. I needed really to recover from this, but I promise you guys, I will pull out. <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. On Instagram. I think, uh, I should. I'm, we'll share I'm, it too. I'm yeah. really curious to see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I should note I, that there are a lot of really cool videos of you on YouTube that, that people are making. Um, yeah, of you like climbing. I know you've done two TED Talks. There's a lot of good stuff. If people are interested in learning more about what you do, there's plenty. Um, plenty yeah, there's my, there. my YouTube page, my Instagram, my Facebook, and um, I have my website. Like all, they are joyceazam.com, my website, and the others are joyceazam7s. But um, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm doing it, all this by myself. So sometimes I go, uh, short on, you know, putting uh, some uh, footage and um, stuff to share some stuff online, but and then I come back and do it. So just you know, be patient with me. I'm not very very. <laughs> Completely. So this, is, yeah. this is all you. So you're not. You don't have anybody working your social media pages or anything like that. You're no. You're, you're doing the hiking. You're taking I'm the doing, footage, yeah. and then I guess yeah, when you have downtime, no, one man band. I'm, on, yeah, yeah uh, one woman show. One woman band. <laughs> one woman show. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, no, to be honest, I, I here I really want to be, to thank, actually. I'm grateful for Elia Saikali. He's a filmmaker, 
um, he climbed with us Everest and this time was really very special like this climb because I shared it with other three women uh, from Lebanon Saudi Arabia and uh, Oman and all these all together we summited um, Everest we we stood on the top of the world and uh, there's this documentary coming up in uh, like two months uh, by Elia Saikali about all this story it's really wonderful because uh, he went also to our uh, countries and there's a backstory and you can see all the bunker I talked about my childhood places and and my family and all of that in this documentary and uh, he really helped me a lot also to show you know there's this one minute uh, that went a little bit a little bit viral uh, the dream of Everest he did it for me it's really cool and it shows a little bit of my character and my project and just with footage and nice you know edit I need that I need that but honestly I couldn't pay anyone or I don't have the budget for that so I needed or to do it by myself or I had the help of Elia because he really believed in my story and we were doing and we did this project together the dream of Everest is that the one where you're like doing the battle ropes and you're working yes. out did that, oh, that, yeah. was awesome. that, that pumped me up I, I kind of wanted to climb Mount Everest after I went <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was a nice shot, and you know, it's all about visuals, and this is what you learn um, through marketing your project, and 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 this is something I want to tell everybody out there. Um, you, sometimes you have an idea, sometimes you have a dream, and then if you don't cut it into pieces and you 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 you, you like you slow it down to goals, smaller goals, you would not do it. So this is what I did. I I cut my big dream, the, the, the map of the world was my, is us, my dream. And uh, I just, uh, it's like, I took each summit uh, alone and it was, each summit was my dream, was my goal till I, some, like, you know, it, uh, after seven years of hard work, I finished this seven summit stuff. But what I want to say, if um, sometimes you have an idea, but if you don't work towards it to make it happen, and create your opportunities, you would never uh, see it uh, reality. And um, on my way of doing this, um, because it's another struggle we didn't really talk about, it's about how to convince other people to give you the money to do your dream, you know, and why. And, and, and this is another work of marketing. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an architect. I studied um, uh, you know, urban design and I studied uh, uh, conservation and stuff, you know, it's from my PhD, but I never studied marketing. I never knew how to deal with a sponsor. So first I would like go, oh, I want to be the first Lebanese woman to climb the seven side. This is really now nice. And it's like, they were like, no, it's not. I don't care about you. So it's not because <laughs> they are not nice people because I didn't know how to enter the market, how to sell my project even though it's not a profitable project, it is a more uh, a social project. It's a more of a, a dream project. It's more, you know, it's, it's not like I was making money out of this, but I just put my head there. I didn't take a no for an answer. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I am approaching these uh, potential uh, sponsors uh, in a, not in the right way or not in the way they would you know be convinced and this is where i i started really a, an interesting actually 
uh, discovery of this world of marketing and exposure and how to convince and how to pitch. So now I am really much better in this and um, I like it. So what I want to say to everyone, you have, a, you have an idea, make it happen and don't blame others. Like you can't blame, for example, a lot of my friends, I would tell them, oh, this, for example, bank said no, they would not say, they are stupid, you have a, an amazing idea. This is what my friend would say. And what I would say, no, they are not. I think I have to find a way to convince, or, or maybe I have to find the fit for me, like the bank who would support women empowerment, who would support a doer, right. who would support mm -hmm. um, a person with a dream, who would, you know, so I would go and, or who would support sports or, you know, so it's like finding your match also in the market would bring you to, uh, to find your, you know, to, to, to right. do it. So not everybody's going to think you're great. Not everybody's going to care what you're doing, no. but you have to do like, you know, that's something that I've, I've read before where you just have to do, if you want to be an author, just write, just, go, go, just write t 10 yeah. words. The thing yeah. is, once you start, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing you do. You know, once that's you the start, hurdle. the rest of it sort of just flows. If you yeah. want to write a book, say, I'm going to sit down and write 10 words, a uh, hundred words. And then eventually that's just going to flow. And before you know it, you're going to spend hours writing. If you okay. want to go to the gym, just show up at the gym. You're going to show up there and eventually you're just going to start working out. And if you want to be, become a hiker and you want to hike Mount Everest, just start, start hiking. hiking. <laughs> It'll come. It'll come and you'll build on it and you'll build confidence and, and you'll build the, the, the training totally. that you need. And, and guys, trust me, I am not the strongest mountaineer and I'm proud of it. I am not the best. I don't know what. I'm not proving anything to anyone. I just had an idea. I had my dream and I did it for myself and for my country after, you know, it became a bigger thing. But what I want to say, a lot of people around me put me down a lot. Like uh, from one side, my parents, my family, other than my brother, George, who is my coach and who would give me all these uh, he would always be by my side and give me all this training. And he's the only actually person I would talk to when I'm on the mountain because he knows me and he really helps me psychologically and everything because he did a master degree in sports management. But other than my brother, George, my family was putting me down because they think like there was a lot of resistance and they're still uh, because they think I am really uh, ambitious and this dream is bigger than me. I, I, I'm, I'm not supposed to dream this big because I come hmm. from a very um, like lower middle class. Um, for them, being a woman in Lebanon and from this, especially this class, like maybe if I was born rich and it's not, uh, I have no problem with that. But like, <laughs> this is my story. This is like just my, it happened that I was born in, in um, this family so um they they for them i just needed to get married um, okay i was an architect this is amazing so getting a job getting married having a nice car a few kids this is what they expected from me so what i did is just total opposite from what makes my parents proud and even i remember i won a very very like highly prestigious scholarship and um, a competitive one and uh, i got it for for to do my phd and i was like super happy because they chose i don't know out of six seven hundred people 19 you know and i was you know in this list and um maybe more huh? i didn't know how many but it's a like international scholarship and my mom was like oh, why would you need to do a phd like 
you have enough, you know? So this part, um, I'm sorry, we brought this, but please, everyone is listening to me. Sometimes your parents doesn't have your own vision. Be responsible for sure. So what I did, I was working as a waitress. I was working double job. Like I would do at night a project, you know, private project in architecture. I would, you know, draw all these plans and stuff, even very basic stuff, but to make money. And I was independent since I was like 18. Even before I started to make money when I was 16, like going to summer schools and being a, you know, instructor swimming or I don't know, assisting these kids in the summer schools. And then um, when I was 18, 19, I was totally independent money wise. You know, I would always work as a waitress in the weekend, um, the mountains, because like this, I can go hiking. <laughs> and then, you know, when I started the, when I um, discovered this passion at the 20, but uh, before I would uh, really do different jobs and uh, I'm super proud of that. I'm not ashamed because this is what shaped me and made me also take my own responsibility and take um, like uh, control of my life. My parents hurt me a little bit by not supporting me, but I totally understand them. It comes from because they love me, because they are afraid for me and they want me to have the life they, you know, draw for me in their minds. But I saw life differently i saw the world as you know my my uh, my dream so uh, this is from one side and then the other side of struggle i i i had to uh face was the you know how to get the budget of for this project so all of this um taught me a lot taught me a lot and and my advice for each one like if there's someone who has this uh, crazy idea just do it and and as bob was saying just start writing start hiking right elliot <laughs> if you want to climb a mountain like a lot of people would send me these messages on on uh, instagram and facebook and i love that guys yeah. this is i i reply on the messages and i'm there to reply anything and to communicate with you but sometimes like um i want to you know climb mount everest How, what should i do it's like start climbing yeah <laughs> Yes, no training. And so I, I just want to bring to everyone's attention that you're not, you know, you're not slowing down either. You have a lot going on right now. And something else that you're sort of having your, your focus is climbing to the South Pole and then eventually yeah. the North Pole. We're yeah. not going to have time to really get into that today. So we're going to have to have you on after you complete it. And we'll yes. talk all about I it. I love yes, that. I love sure. that. And that's, that's part of the Explorer's Grand Slam, right? Right. Yeah, that, yeah. that completes it. So I, this is just yeah. one general question because I, we don't really have the time to get into it. Yeah. But I know where you stand if you hike to the South Pole. You stand, you know, on the continent of Antarctica. Where do you actually go if you to get the North Pole? Because I really don't know. I could probably Google it, but do you very, take a boat somewhere? It's a very, very good question, Bob, because um, so just I will give a brief. Um, what is the Explorer's Grand Slam? Explorer's Grand Slam is a very like the one of the hardest uh, um, uh, achievements, uh, you know, in the world. It is about climbing the seven summits plus traversing the South Pole and the North Pole uh, on the skis. Okay, but there is the full like there's the long distance one and the short distance. The short distance is about crossing the last degree, which is like a hundred kilometers uh, of distance, and it takes like ten days in the South Pole and uh, in the North Pole also. Or uh, you just go the long distance, which is like two months of uh, skiing and 1,300 
kilometers of uh, distance and it's really hard because you need to pull like 120 kilograms of sled food equipment and stuff and surviving really the sub-zeros and the very very harsh climate of, of Antarctica so this is in general if I do it in 2021 uh, I will be the third woman in the world to accomplish that and I'm looking forward for that that's incredible because, yeah because we have just one Norwegian and one like this year this year one uh, 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 English uh, uh, woman who uh, did it and if I do it I will be the third female in the world and guys I mean even if I will be the fifth the tenth I, this is for me like <laughs> it's incredible. amazing yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm really looking forward to, yeah. to following this entire thing so that's what I, I recommend I will need I will need sponsors for that too but but please I, I will explain for the North Pole so yeah. the North Pole is when the the, the ocean will uh, get um, uh, like uh, you know icy you know uh, how do you say it frozen uh, Frozen, that's the word. Thank you, Elliot. And uh, you can cross it, right? In the winter okay. time. So we start like in April. But when it's two months, like for 10 days, it's okay. You can cross it. We still have the good um, sub-zero's um, uh, temperature and we can cross it. But for the two months, the last people who crossed it, I think it's a, they were um, at, uh, US, uh, from USA in 2010. They crossed the, uh, the North Pole, the long distance one. And um, I believe uh, one of them is Ryan Waters. He was my guide on Vincent uh, expedition on Antarctica. And uh, they had to swim some parts. Oh, man. Because there's no land, you know, like there's no it's land and, and, and it's full ice. So I was, you know, preparing for that logistic stuff and trying to understand how much it's going to cost me. So I start emailing all these people and one Russian guy replied as like, yeah, if you give me half a million of euros, I would take you and drop you there. And I don't care what's going to happen with you. Jeez. No, for sure. He was kidding with me to tell me yeah. just, it's very, very, very dangerous. And here we can raise a problem right environmental problem like what we are doing because because of uh, the temperature is rising in the whole globe um we we can't anymore have the the the, the ocean frozen anymore to cross it in two months like two months is you know it's really wow. yeah. um, when when you are about to finish like on your i don't know end of the expedition you would just just to swim <laughs> to the point of the North Pole. So wow. this is crazy. And I don't know, I'm, I will start with the South Pole if I succeed. Um, what I think, of, like how I think about the North Pole is about you know, raising this awareness, like doing a campaign about it. For sure, maybe I will just do the small, uh, because now if you, even if you just do the South Pole, the full length, like the, the, the long distance, and then you go up and do the last degree, which is the 100 kilometers, you get the title, right? Like the title of the third woman, blah, blah, blah. But my real, like what I really care of is raising this awareness about the climate change. You know, what we are really doing with our planet and how our oceans, you know, like everything is changing in, in, in Fast. the planet. Yeah. And, and, and this would cause, you know, the 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 nor the uh, uh, how the bears you know like the bears, polar bears yeah. The, yeah yeah like the polar 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 bears they this is a problem because they they don't know where 
to live anymore. <laughs> There's actually a good video of them adopting to the ice melt. Um, I think it's on planet Earth too. They're actually learning to swim and they're hunting and hunt. seals that way. So seals that are sitting in their sunbathing on a piece of floating ice, the bears now know how to stealthily jump into the water, swim very quietly with just their face above the water, similar to an alligator. It's incredible. And then they'll get very close to the ice and they just try to jump up and they grab the seal. It's almost oh identical God. to how an alligator hunts. And yeah. now you have the largest bear population, not population, the largest bear species hunting this way. Water. It's freaking scary, to be honest. There's giant alligator bears in the- Alligator in, bears? Yeah, but it's, it's very sad. And I think that's a good yeah. topic that we're going to have for our next podcast with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to come back in 2021. Yeah, you're going to come um, back with incredible new perspective on ice melt and the environment up there. And I'm going to be very, very, very curious to hear I mean, about it. To be honest, today, I, I, you, you are explaining it better than me. But I know there's a problem. I know that the polar bears are changing behaviors. And, and this climate change is real. It's not yeah. like just, you know, we are, uh, oh, we are having a different summer. Like, I think we are, we are feeling it on our skin in our countries, right? Like most of the world have, understands that. We, we have like rain or or strange rain sometimes, or or a, like the summer is longer or shorter, or because of this. And yeah. um, I, I hope I will bring more information and close, you know, closely and um, from my experience for sure. Well, we're gonna stay in touch for sure. And I recommend that anybody listening follow you now on all of your social media platforms. It's Joyce. Azam, and that's A-Z-Z-A-M, correct? Yes. Yeah, Joyce, thank you so yeah. much for thank being you. on our podcast. You, you are truly your source of inspiration for young girls, for current hikers, for people around the world. It was so awesome <laughs> meeting you, talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Same here. And I'm really happy to connect with you guys. You are doing a, an awesome job connecting the world, the travelers, the hikers, the mountaineers around the world. So keep on doing this uh, beautiful stuff and we stay in touch. We yes. do. Thank you so much, Joyce. So I'm fascinated about what drives the human psyche to climb the highest mountains in the world. And so I, I wonder if I'm like overthinking the whole thing because Gregory Probably. Mallory, yeah, Gregory Mallory, the first guy to ever climb Mount Everest, was interviewed when he did it in 1924, and his response was, "Because it's there." And so maybe that's it. Maybe that's all the reasoning we need. And maybe I should stop thinking that it's like something beyond that. Although it is, because now I'm like, yes, it definitely is. <laughs> it's such a back and forth. But I don't know, man. <sighs> I feel like there, there's got to be research behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think there's something subliminal, maybe subconscious, the same reason that we have the urge to live near water and that we like fire. We just yeah, want to but, climb. But those, are, those are for survival. Climbing a mountain is sort of the opposite of that. You're putting yourself into extreme environments. The living near water and wanting to use fire is all about ease of living, like to, to enhance the quality of life. Climbing a mountain is not that at all. So not not ease, but we're. Not, I wouldn't say that we're attracted to fire. We're just in, entranced by it. Like when you sit next to a fire, you're just like looking at it. And there are pyros out there, right? Mm -hmm. That love fire, and those are not used for benefit. That's just pure enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Whatever maybe, it is, maybe it's the primal instincts. Yeah, like, or just this natural inclination that we have as, a, as humans to challenge ourselves, like, you know, 
Yeah. I don't know. But don't anyway, know. it made for an incredible conversation. She is a truly impressive and unique woman. And yeah. I'm really excited to talk to her about her Grand Slam when she's done two years. Yeah. Yeah. So so two years, we, we'll reach back out to her. I'm sure we'll talk to her between now and then, but I'm really excited for that too. I am too. So. Uh, reach out to us if you want to talk. Give us a rating on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, whatever it is. And... You know, we'll talk to you next week.